just before we, uh, t- well, if you want to start turning to the Bible reading, we're in um, Ezekiel chapter 34 this morning, which is on page 865 in the Chapel Bibles. But uh, just as you look that up, I've just written another little book of stories. So um, it's called Under the Bonnet, a book for blokes, mostly. So it's, um, so, so they're car stories, they're car related stories, but they all sort of point to. They're basically kind of exploring, well, you know, when things go wrong, where do we turn? And um, I wrestled for ages over what, what to call it, because I was going to call it Under the Bonnet, a book for blokes. But I thought these days a lot of people will be offended and they'll complain, so why is it just blokes? We like cars as well. So, so it's a book for blokes mostly, so, so I'm hoping that ladies won't be offended, because it's, like, it's all right. So it's kind of aimed at Father's Day, but it's generic. It, you can use it, there's nothing that ties it to Father's Day, but that was the, the kind of the focus for it. So they're just a quid each, so if you want to buy one and give it to a friend, or buy ten and give them to ten friends. If you have ten friends, that'd be fine. So they're over there, do um, that'd be lovely. So um, just a, a little bit of background before I read Ezekiel 34. So very long story, very short. Uh, so the context is... That uh, the people of God, the Israelites, are in trouble because of their disobedience and rebellion. They're set up in this relationship with God where God says, if you obey my commands, you will be blessed. If you don't, you'll be cursed. That's the relationship. God says, you obey my commands, you do the things I've asked you to do, you'll be blessed. Uh, If you don't, then things won't go well. And of course, uh, the people of God are un- incapable of obeying God's laws. They're constantly in rebellion. They're constantly worshipping other gods and other idols. And God is incredibly patient. So for centuries, God is patient with them and he warns them. And he says, look, you need to turn back from the direction that you're headed in. If you don't, then X, Y and Z is going to happen. But God says, if you don't, if you don't turn back, then eventually disaster is going to before you and uh, we've got to the point where time is up and disaster has befallen them those of you that have sort of been with us through this series will remember that a few chapters ago uh, back in Ezekiel chapter 24 the Lord says to Ezekiel that Jerusalem is going to come under siege and Jerusalem is going to be destroyed and um, Ezekiel is told that Uh, On the day, uh, this is Ezekiel chapter 24, verse 26. On that day, a fugitive will come to tell you the news. So Ezekiel is in exile in Babylon uh, with the Jews who have been exiled. There is a remnant of Jews still living in Jerusalem. And when Jerusalem falls, one of them escapes, uh, runs to Babylon and informs Ezekiel that the city has fallen. Uh, We get back to uh, just the previous chapter, chapter 33. And uh, chapter 20, uh, verse 21, in the 12th year of our exile, in the 10th month, on the fifth day, a man who had escaped from Jerusalem came to see me and said, the city has fallen. Now, this is a complete disaster. This is the one thing that the Israelites never believed would happen because they believe that God has promised that his dwelling place is in the temple in Jerusalem And that no matter what else happens, that will remain the case. So they're kind of in this place of thinking, well, it doesn't matter too much what we do. God will not abandon his temple and not abandon his Jerusalem. 
And now that has happened. So what do you do when the unthinkable has happened? I don't know if you've ever had a sort of something in your life where you just thought, well, that will never happen. God would never allow that to happen. No matter what else may happen, may, may happen. God won't let that happen. And then it happens. Uh, what do you do? So often in that moment, what happens is we, we lose our confidence in God. We think, well, I thought God would never let that happen. And now he has. So how can I still have my trust in him? Uh, I know just, you know, looking around the room, I know that some of us have had those situations in our lives where you just think, well, God would never let that happen. And then it happens. Disaster falls. The unthinkable happens. And it's like, well, what do we, how, how do I still have hope? How can I still trust God when this has happened? So that's kind of the context for where we are at. For the people of God, the unthinkable has happened. Jerusalem has fallen. So how do you get through this? Well, chapter 34 that we're going to explore a little bit this morning is basically God saying, well, this is why it's happened. This is why it's happened. And this is what I'm going to do. Because with God, whenever, whenever judgment falls, and with God, judgment always falls because he's a loving God and a God of justice. So judgment always falls. Whenever judgment falls, there's always hope. There is always hope. And this is an incredibly hopeful chapter, uh, which is a big relief because of a lot of Ezekiel. It's pretty hard going, isn't it? If you, were, if you were here for the early chapters, the first few chapters are like, oh, my goodness. It's like it's just relentless. So there's a lot of hope in this chapter. So I'm going to read the chapter and then we're just going to explore it a little bit. So um, it's, it's quite a long one, but it's worth, it's worth kind of getting into it. So page 865, Ezekiel chapter 34. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains on an every high hill they were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than for my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. 
I will tend them in a good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and make them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. As for you, my flock, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will judge between one sheep and another and between rams and goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture? Must you also trample the rest of your pasture with your feet? Is it not enough for you to drink clear water? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? Must my flock feed on what you have trampled and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says to them. See, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you shove with flank and shoulder, butting all the weak sheep with your horns until you have driven them away. I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of wild beasts, so that they may live in the desert and sleep in the forests in safety. I will bless them and the places surrounding my hill. I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessing. The trees of the field will yield their fruit and the ground will yield its crops. The people will be secure in their land. They will know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and rescue them from the hands of those who enslave them. They will no longer be plundered by the nations, nor will wild animals devour them. They will live in safety and no one will make them afraid. I will provide for them a land renowned for its crops and they will no longer be victims of famine in the land or bear the scorn of the nations. Then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the sovereign Lord. You, my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, are people and I am your God, declares the sovereign Lord. So a wonderful chapter with much in it and uh, judgment, but also hope. And uh, uh, who would want to be a shepherd of God's people? I was, um, as I was preparing, I was just reflecting on the, the awesome responsibility that comes with being a shepherd of God's people. Uh, verse, um, verse 10, the Lord says, I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. God holds his shepherds accountable and uh, the reason things have gone so badly wrong for the people of Israel uh, in Ezekiel's day is because the shepherds have not been doing what they were called to do. They've not been good shepherds. Uh, verse, uh, Verse two, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. This is what the sovereign Lord says, woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? It's pretty blindingly obvious, isn't it? That's the job of uh, the job of the shepherd is to take care of the sheep. But here they they haven't. 
And uh, when you read the Old Testament, this just happens time and time and time again, that God's shepherds are, are rubbish. They just, they, sometimes they start well and they finish, you know, they finish badly. Uh, you know, why is it that the Israelites ended up with, with a king? Why do the Israelites ask for a king in the first place? Because God was their king. God was their king. How did the Israelites end up with a king? Well, it's because the shepherds who were supposed to be looking after them were rubbish. Uh, if you read back in, uh, in Samuel and Kings, Samuel is the great leader of Israel, but his sons are hopeless. His sons are rebellious. And people look at Samuel's sons and they look at what they're doing and how rebellious they're being. And they say, we don't want them looking after us. We want a king. All the other nations have a king. We want a king like them. So they end up with, with a king because their shepherds are not doing what they're called to do. And so often the kings just follow in that pattern and the, it's, and the shepherds follow in that pattern. The problem is we have a... Uh, we have, a, we have a, a blind spot. We have, a, if you like, a, a tear in the fabric of our souls, which comes all the way from the Garden of Eden. And we see it in the story of, of Cain and Abel. And there's this, this great tragedy in the story of Cain and Abel, where Abel brings a sacrifice to God that is accepted. And Cain brings a sacrifice that is, is, is half-hearted. It's not... Uh, it's, it's not wholehearted and he brings his sacrifice and, uh, and God sees that it's, it's half-hearted. He sees that Cain's heart isn't in it. And then Cain has this, has this bitterness towards God that his sacrifice has not been accepted. And so he goes out and is jealous of his brother Abel and kills his brother Abel. And then God comes to Cain and says, you know, where's your brother? Where is your brother? And, and Cain comes back with this this just the, this heartbreaking thing where he says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And, it's, and it's, this, it's the greatest tragedy because if we're created in the image of God, then yes, we are our brother's and sister's keeper. It's, it's, that's the image of God. That's what God is like. That's why God is the good shepherd because that was, he does care. He cares about every single one of us and we're supposed to care for each other. But because of the fall, because this sin that we carry in our souls, because our hearts are now inward looking and selfish, we don't. And so the Lord poses this question, woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not the shepherds take care of the flock? That's their, that's their job. That's their duty. And uh, when we fall short, uh, things go wrong. The sheep are are neglected. Uh, I'm just. I'm going to sort of um, segue off a little bit and 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 just say something which may be a little bit um, controversial. But um, that's what we're supposed to do, isn't it? Jesus was always controversial. So, um, but um, I was just. I was just. I was struck. So I was thinking about the responsibility of of shepherds uh, watching over the sheep, and um, I, I just. I feel like we're in a we're in a season where our where those who are placed as shepherds over us are, are becoming more and more compromised and, and more and more not looking after the sheep that have been entrusted to them. So I don't know if you noticed this. I didn't notice it until it was, it was pointed out to me. But um, 
Uh, in the coronation service last, uh, last Saturday, which uh, lots of us watched and all kind of enjoyed it, there was, um, I, d- I didn't clock it at the time, but there's a prayer uh, at the beginning, or towards the beginning of the service, after the king has been presented with the scriptures, and we were thinking about this last Sunday, where the, the king has given a copy of the Holy Bible, the lively oracles of God. I just love that expression, the lively oracles of God. This is God's living word. The king says that. Now, when you look back at the order of service for, uh, for Queen Elizabeth, uh, when, she was, when she was crowned, uh, there's a moment at the, the beginning of her coronation where she has a time of private prayer before the altar. Uh, and it's not recorded what she prayed. It was just a time of private prayer. Well, in uh, Charles's service, uh, the prayer was in the order of service. It's in the liturgy. And this is what it says. This is what he prayed. And uh, see if you can spot the, spot the issue or the possible issue. Uh, God of compassion and mercy, whose son was sent not to be served, but to serve. Give grace that I may find in thy service perfect freedom and in that freedom knowledge of thy truth. Grant that I may be a blessing to all thy children of every faith and belief that together we may discover the ways of gentleness and be led into the paths of peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. It's a lovely prayer, isn't it? Lovely prayer. Only there's some problems. There's some problems with this prayer. Let me just point out just a couple of problems. I hope this isn't being recorded and put online. Oh, it is. Never mind. Don't share it too widely. God of compassion and mercy. Nothing wrong with that. Whose son was sent not to be served, but to serve. (coughs) Nothing wrong with that. The problem is it doesn't complete the quotation, which is from Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 45, where Jesus says, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, when Jesus speaks it, his saying uh, the way I'm going to serve is through sacrifice, is through going to the cross. When you take that bit out and you just make it about service, that changes the whole thing. Because now it's not about sacrifice, sacrifice of somebody on the cross. It's about uh, service. You said not to be served, but to serve. Then it goes on. Give me grace that I may find in thy service perfect freedom. Do we find perfect freedom in service? No. We find perfect freedom through the cross. We find perfect freedom, freedom through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. See, what's happened with this prayer is the whole thing is now being made about service. Service. May find service in thy service. Perfect freedom. And in that freedom, knowledge of thy truth. We don't find perfect freedom in service. And we don't find knowledge of the truth. We find perfect freedom in Jesus Christ. And in surrender to him. And in submission to him and in saying that he is Lord. So there's a, there's a problem here because it's, there's the focus is now not in the cross and Jesus dying on the cross. It's in service, which then broadens the whole scope of how that freedom may be found, which is the other problem in the prayer. Grant that I may be a blessing to all thy children of every faith and belief. All thy children 
of every faith and belief. He's just been given a copy of the scriptures, the lively oracles of God, which include these words in John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 12. To all who received him, Jesus Christ, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So how do you become a child of God? Through believing in the name of Jesus and receiving him. Well, how do you receive Jesus? Well, you acknowledge that he is Lord and you surrender to him and you put your trust in him and you own the fact that you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and your only hope is in his sacrifice on the cross. That's how you become a child of God. There is one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So how can you have a prayer that says... I may be a blessing to all thy children of every faith and belief. We, have to, we, we get so confused with this language, you have to be so careful. Uh, so I seem to have disappeared off the tr- Never mind, we'll come back. Um, uh, that we are all created in the image of God. We are not all God's children. I find this language used, muddled up the whole time. People talk about, well, we're all children of God. No, we're not. We're all created in the image of God. We all carry his image to a greater or lesser extent. God loves us because we're made in his image. And and he loves what he has created. We're not all children of God because you only become a child of God through accepting the Lord Jesus Christ. That's that's what the gospel says. I I love the fact that um, as a preacher, all I have to do is tell you what the Bible says. If I ever tell you something that the Bible doesn't say then ignore it. But if I tell you something that the Bible does say, we'll take it seriously. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Uh, I'm just a messenger, don't shoot me. Um, you know, to those who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, you can know that you are a child of God. If you haven't, you can't. It's what his word says. Uh, so so it's, it seems like a lovely prayer, but it's not. Because it means we have a king who now thinks anyone of any faith or any belief is a child of God. Which is in contradiction to what God has said in his word. And this is an order of service that the Archbishop of Canterbury signed off on. Which means we have a, a, a kind of a great shepherd over our established church, who's now compromised in his own faith and his own belief. And that is not a good place to be in. That's not a good place to be in. Uh, The lively oracles of God. I said last Sunday that this is the first gift that the monarch is given, is the word of God. Everything else rests on this. If we we start to, to drift then we're in trouble. And God says he'll hold his shepherds accountable. So, you know, we just, we need to be just conscious of the times in which we live and the things that are going on. And I I remember saying last year when when Queen Elizabeth died that I just, I felt it was a very, just a, a, a very significant moment because she had a, she understood the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. And acknowledge the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. And, as we, uh, and so I felt we had a, a kind of a spiritual covering over our nation. 
which we've now lost because we have a king who doesn't acknowledge the uniqueness of Christ. And that is significant. And uh, we will see the effect of that in the coming days, weeks, months and years. That is, that is a significant thing. And um, just to get back to... Oh, gosh. Never mind. Never mind. Yes, it was equal 34, just in the context. But this is why it's so relevant. This is why it's so relevant, because, you know, God appoints shepherds, and there's huge responsibility. You know, I was thinking as I was preparing this, wow, you know, God is going to hold me accountable for the way I've been a shepherd. God's going to hold me accountable for what I've preached. Am I being faithful to his word? Because I'm going to be held accountable for what I've shared and for what I've, you know, for the way I've handled God's word. And uh, the people of God, they're, they're in a mess because their shepherds have been selfish and, and, and inward looking and have just looked after themselves and have become complacent and said, well, it doesn't matter what we do. God doesn't care. Well, he does care. Uh, spoiler alert, God is working his purposes out, not our purposes uh, you, know, his, his, you know, God isn't here to please us. Uh, we're here to please him and to live according to him. So there's this, this sort of judgment against the shepherds, but it's not just the shepherds, it's the sheep are just as bad. Uh, if you, you know, look at verse 20, this is what the sovereign Lord says to them. I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. It's not just the shepherds that have got things wrong, it's the sheep themselves. You shove with flank and shoulder, butting all the weak sheep with your horns until you've driven them away. Uh, you know, we, you know, as, as sheep, we're, uh, we're as bad as the, the shepherds. Somebody has said, you know, the, the church is the only army that shoots its own soldiers. Um, you know, within the, the church is riven with division and, and dispute and just, you know, corruption and all sorts of stuff that we get wrong that is dishonouring to God. And uh, you sort of look at all of that and you think, wow, this is all a, this is a mess. This is a mess. This is a mess of our own making. God has given us great responsibility and, and, and we've squandered it. But here is the good news. The good news is that God will never abandon his sheep. God will never give up on us. Uh, God says at the end of verse 10, he says, I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. Now, if you look at the, um, the, the sort of criticism in the earlier verses uh, from verse four, and just think about um, the echoes of, from what the, the shepherds have not done and just think of some of the things that Jesus said in the Gospels, in contrast to how badly the shepherds have failed the people of God in Ezekiel's time. Uh, you have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. Just think about the things that Jesus did. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally. And so they were scattered. My sheep wandered over all the mountains no one searched or looked for them. So God says, well, you failed, uh, but I won't. And this is where the great hope is. And for the people of God at the time who are thinking, well, the unthinkable has happened. Jerusalem has fallen. The temple has been destroyed. Where, where is our God? How can we still have trust in God? Well, we can still have trust in God because when we mess up, God steps in. 
I will rescue my flock. From verses 11, just see how many times God speaks in the first person about what he's going to do. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them. So I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. This is uh, 600 years before the time of Christ. 1948. This prophecy was fulfilled as God brought his people back into their land. This is the moment where they are expelled. This is the moment where Jerusalem falls. Two and a half thousand years later, God would bring them back. 1948. I will bring them into their own land. I will pass them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. God says, I will step in. You've, you've failed, you've got it wrong, you've messed up, but I love my sheep and I won't abandon them. And verse 16, I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. Uh, I will shepherd the flock with justice. This is our Jesus. This is our Lord. This is the promise that God makes and it's fulfilled in the life of Jesus. Uh, Jesus who follows in the line of King David. Jesus who comes to be the good shepherd. Uh, Remember in um, uh, Jesus's encounter with uh, Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. Zacchaeus who is, uh, is the outcast. He's the one who's rejected. He's the one that no one has any time for. He's the one who's despised by his own people. Uh, And Jesus uh, has this encounter with Zacchaeus and welcomes him in and changes his life. And then Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. The shepherds of Israel in the time of Israel have given up on that. They're not seeking and saving the lost. They're lying in their own pockets. But Jesus says the son of man has come to seek and to save what was lost. That's what our Jesus does. Jesus, the one who tells the story of uh, the parable of the lost sheep. Uh, This is our Jesus. This is the heart of God. This is the compassion of God. Supposing one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. These are the rebellious sheep. These are the ones that have run away. These are the ones who've got lost. And the good shepherd goes out looking for them. He searches until he finds them. And then he rejoices. I tell you in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. That's our God. That's our shepherd. He comes looking for the ones who are lost. And how does he come looking for them? He comes looking for them in his son, Jesus Christ. And how does he find them? He finds them. How does he rescue them? He rescues them by dying on a cross. He rescues them by dying on a cross. That's the gate through which we enter into the promised land. That's the gate through which we enter into eternity. Not just through service, but through the cross. 
through that sacrifice. John's Gospel, chapter 10, this wonderful passage where Jesus says, I am, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one who's come in fulfilment of all of these prophecies. Uh, Jesus says, uh, John 10, verse 7, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. Uh, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Do you want life? Do you want life to the full? It's Jesus who brings it. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. Death and resurrection. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Human shepherds uh, will always fail. Human shepherds will always fall short, will always get things wrong, will always make mistakes, will always let the sheep down sooner or later. But God makes a promise. God makes a promise to Ezekiel that one day he he will come. He will come as the shepherd. Uh, He will gather his flock together. He will welcome us. He will put us into a good and prosperous place. We see it. Uh, just um, kind of physically and geographically in the way that God has gathered together his people from around the world and gathered them back to their promised land. But we see it in the way that through the cross, Jesus reaches out with a message of hope to all of us and invites us all to come to him. He's the God of compassion and mercy who reaches out and searches for the outcasts who goes to whatever lengths it may take in order to welcome the, the least, the last, the lonely, the lost, and gathers them in because that's the heart of God. And that's what he's done in his son, Jesus Christ. And that's his message for us this morning, is that we are, we are welcome. We're invited to become children of God through accepting the Lord Jesus Christ and acknowledging his lordship. And that's the gospel That's the gospel that he's given us to proclaim. It's good news because it's a certain hope. And it's a certain hope because it doesn't rest in who we are or what we've done, but it rests in who he is and what he has done. And that's the good news. The good news is that though we have sinned, there is forgiveness. There is forgiveness on the cross. And because of the cross, there can be eternal life. So... Let us pray for our shepherds and those who will face that day of accountability and judgment before 
the Lord Jesus. And let us be those who proclaim the good news of God. The good news of God that, yes, we, we respect. We respect and we allow people to believe what they want to believe. And we, uh, we respect those of other faiths. And, of course, we want to build friendship. And, of course, we want to build relationship. But we also want to say, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So, Lord Jesus, thank you that you, you are Lord. You are Lord. And this morning in this chapel, we acknowledge that you are Lord. And Lord, we pray for those who have the responsibility of of handling your word and your gospel truth and proclaiming it uh, rightly and faithfully. And Lord, we need your help to do that. And we thank you for the gospel, the good news that there is forgiveness of sins. There is the promise of eternal life, won for us through the death of Jesus on the cross. bless you and we thank you this morning and we pray that as we lift high the name of Jesus in this place many will be drawn to him for Jesus sake Amen